The following episode is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast, the Superman edition. My name is Mike Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me, as always, is Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. Father! (laughs) That's a perfect beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the Superman sequels today. We'll be talking about Superman 2, but it's worth noting talking about... Why are we bringing up the Superman sequels at all, Tom? Why is this the perfect hmm. set of sequels to start with? Um, it couldn't be more perfect because it, it feels like, uh, well, the name of the podcast is Everything Sequel, and the Superman sequel trilogy has every kind of sequel you could possibly imagine <laughs> Isn't in that it. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got sequels that the the darker than the original sequel, the comic or self-spoofing sequel and the cinematic abortion there you go (laughs) you have the sequel that some people consider better than the original too that's right yeah so you go from better to the original to the cinematic abortion in just a few movies what a i mean we can't pick a better place to start right um i don't think so and uh it's interesting thinking of uh i don't know too many more movies made before this that envision themselves as a series or a franchise in the same way. I mean, we're very used to that idea now that especially, you know, comic book adaptations and particularly the superhero variety, you know, once they make one, they're going to make 10. Um, but they have uh, to. Yeah. I think but... legally. <laughs> it's right. It's the, the, Sup- <laughs> the Supreme Court ruled on it yesterday when they were doing all that LGBT. Yeah. And Gorsuch stuff. was the, was, was the tie breaking <laughs> vote. Who would have thought? Well, he's a big. He's always been a big Superman fan, you know. There you um, go. Uh, so, but so, but this this is a very early uh, incarnation of that, where they're, they're making. Uh, they made the first two movies back to back. So they were they, they knew as soon as they begun that they were going to make more than one, that they were going to sequelize uh, this story, and that's very interesting because that isn't that that was not really the case with a lot of movies then a lot of time it was either an afterthought or um or or contractual you know it was you know the studio wants another one because it made a lot of money well and on top of that there's just the very idea of we're so bombarded right now with the superhero genre Mm. and when the Superman sequels were coming out, that wasn't a thing, you know? No. Superman 2 is 1980, and so it's sort of the birth of that, right? Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's the birth of a, a lot of uh, sequel conventions that are still with us today. Um, but also, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too sort of like reinventing the wheel about this because, you know, the idea of... of sequels has been around since the silent era of cinema you know sure popular movies are always going to have uh follow-ups that are trying to capitalize on their success you know there's there's no ways around that or they're or they're going to try and tell you know realize you can't tell a movie in one you can't tell a story in one movie so you 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 uh you add another one um and 
so a lot of these trends were already around, but this was kind of crystallizing into something that is more familiar with, with what we know now of cinema. I'm so excited to talk about these I three know. movies. I'm wow. just, uh, well, dear listeners, you may or may not know, but every time we start a new series of movies, <laughs> today we will be talking about Superman 2. But before we get even to that point, we are going to start with a segment we call Rank the Sequels. We're going to rank them in order. Tom? Yes. For the love of God, <laughs> tell me. Zod. Your order is two, three, four. Is it not? It's Zod. Best to worst, <laughs> two, three, four. For the love of Zod. Um, you know, in the in, in the interest of of, uh, of having a healthy discussion. Tom, don't upset me. <laughs> no, I, 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 um, uh, I, I genuinely uh, would go three, two, four with this series. And, oh my goodness gracious! Um, and I will give you wrongs of people are crying out in <laughs> pain as they hear this. But you know, not for the reasons you would expect. All right. Well, I'm going to let that pass for now. Obviously, we're going to be getting into this in a moment. Why? Well, what's Listeners, your What's your ranking then? I told you, it's two, then three, then four. They are in order. It can't even be argued. I can't wait to mop the floor with you over these three episodes. We're going to talk. You're cha- you challenging me to a Christopher Lee, uh, Christopher Lee, Christopher Reeve style. Um, actually, Christopher Lee battle against be, himself. <laughs> battle against against himself and or a small rat like man in a diner. It is a great scene, and it is from your personal favorite Superman sequel. However, <laughs> it's two, actually my favorite scene three, in that movie. Four. <laughs> I agree with you. Well, listeners, obviously. Episode one, we're already disagreeing, but we have a next segment. In our segments, we have to declare whether or not these movies are good or bad. You're going to have to be able to back it up, Tom. So, Superman 2, can we agree that's a good movie? Yes. Excellent. (laughs) Superman 4, do we agree that's a bad movie? (laughs) Super, oh, uh, we're doing that with everyone, aren't we? Uh, Superman yeah. 3? No, Superman no, 3 No, I'm saying... I Sup- skipped 3. Superman 4, that's a bad movie, isn't it? Um... Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it is... Okay, okay. In the form that, that, that we all saw it, uh, yes, it is a bad movie, but there is, there is a movie out there... Well, not out there anymore... But there is there is a movie that it could have been a movie that was actually filmed but never released um, that would have been a good movie. Well, I appreciate your <laughs> trying desperately to talk up Superman. 4. I'm I'm like I'm like Trump. But it's a apolog- flaming pile of dog shit. And I'm I'm like Trump that. apologizing for Putin's actions. <laughs> is what I am. Well, so here's the thing, listeners. The reason I skipped three was because. I think most people would say Superman 2 is a bad movie, or uh, Superman 2 is a good movie. Excuse me. Superman 4 is a bad movie. Superman 3, this is where you come into it. This is where we're going to have vastly different opinions, I think. Tom, clearly, you picked 3 as your favorite of the sequels, so you're going to say that's a good movie, right? Um, I am going to say it's a, it's a very good movie, yes. All right. I have to declare whether it's good or bad. Tom, Superman 3... 
it's a good movie. Yeah, see? <laughs> that wasn't so hard, was it? I'm not saying it's better than the second one, though, which is complete nonsense. I don't yeah. know how you got there. Well, it's a slippery, it's a, a slippery movie. slope. Once you start to, you know, once you start to even acknowledge the existence of these movies, the the uh, your notions of quality begin to break down. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to start with 1980s Superman 2, directed yes. by directed by Richard Lester. Well, um, so yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? Like we need to talk about this. Basically. <laughs> There are two Superman 2s, right? There so are. which one do we talk about? Do we talk about both? Do we talk about only what's been released in theaters? What what, do you, what what's your thought? Uh, my thought is that we talk about the uh the original um cinematic release. I uh, agree. The other the only other option is Superman the director's cut. And while I acknowledge the merits of of uh re reinstating Richard Donner's authority as a director over this movie, because even in the version we're talking about, he directed the majority of scenes, and there's, right. no, there's no two ways about that. Um, I, I think that uh, the director's cut kind of eats itself because it, it it's it's trying to sort of show that this was this was a more coherent organic movie than the movie that was released but, but it it's hard to do that with like you know shots that don't look complete and right. you know i mean it's just you know there's they really use, no way to do that well they're using screen test footage right they're, they're you know creating effects after the facts they're um you know piecing it together in, in a way that actually breaks apart the integrity of it which was the opposite of what they're trying to do um, but I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring myself into this because what is this podcast if not subjective? Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I super, the original Superman two is really for my entire life. It's the only Superman two I've ever known. You know, I've seen the director's cut and it doesn't feel familiar to right. me. I had, uh, full disclosure. You can't I, predict exactly what's going to happen. Like you can, when you watch it down, you get a little excited for yeah. parts and you know, yeah. yeah. And so the, the, it definitely is, I'm definitely swayed by the fact that, you know, things that are fun about that original movie, which is a, a lot of, the, which is the majority of the movie that people don't like, you know, I, when I was a kid, <laughs> I didn't know that and I loved them. And I, I had, I grew up with the uh, uh, three retail VHSs of Superman 2 to 4. Um, so, and I didn't even have the original. Um, I don't think I saw the original until I was at least a teenager, but I, I watched Superman two to four, uh, ad nauseum for about two years. So <laughs> not only are the, are the sequels, the only Superman I ever knew, but the Superman two, the original cut is the only one I've, I've, I will you grew up with, yeah. you know well, you love, you... Yeah, so so nostal- nostalgia prevents me from objectively considering the director's cut anything anything other than an attempt to restore someone's reputation. And it doesn't need restoring. If the, you know, you yeah. can... You can there, there are ways, if you piece it together from behind-the-scenes pr- production stuff, you can figure out what Richard Donner directed and what Richard All right, I agree. So we're going to be looking at the theatrical release directed by Richard Lester. 
Tom, yes. can we talk yes. about the first five minutes of Superman 2? <laughs> yes. Um, so, listeners, if you've seen Superman 2, you know that they'd make a decision to show you all of Superman 1 again yes. in the first five minutes. Even before that, we have a cold open. Um, That's true. Be- because this movie thinks it's a Bond film. And um, <laughs> we have a cold open, which uh, is a is a re-edited scene from the original movie. And actually, in the timeline, it starts before the first movie starts. Yeah. So right. we're actually we're starting before the cold open of the first movie. Um, and you know, we we had to. They had to somewhat re-edit the scene to take Marlon Brando out because he refused to come back. Because he refused, right. Yeah, playing playing Superman's father, Jarrell. el um, So we get that. Um, so, you know, already we're like reused footage. Um, then we get into the credits and you start to, you know, think, okay, I'm ready to see where the story goes from here. Right. And then we get uh, a montage of the uh, events of the first movie that appear to be taking place in real time. Correct. <laughs> it is one long montage I mean, with a lot a full of e- five minutes with a lot of extraneous information, and I think we both know what we're talking about here. <laughs> Ket, do you care to elaborate on what we what we both think uh, may have been a mistake to repeat? Well, you're watching Superman two. They're re-showing Superman 1, and out of nowhere, you're seeing five-year-old boy penis for a second right. time. Which is bad enough once. Right. But the, <laughs> the key thing to, to little boy penis a second time to me is that this says only one of two things could have happened in the editing room. You've got the editor. You've got the director. The editor looks the director squarely in the eyes and says, so uh, the little boy's penis, are we doing that again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Crucial That's backstory. That's one choice. Crucial backstory. Other, yeah. We got to have that. Or the other choice is, so wait, you want to show the penis again? Oh, yeah. Are you sure that's necessary? Oh, yeah, no, we're going to put it in. Yeah. I don't really think it's necessary, Richard. Well, we're going to put it in. Mm-hmm. These are the only two things that could have happened. Yeah. And it's just mind-boggling to think about. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, so we we get we get the first film in a very lengthy montage. So so we've seen no new footage yet. <laughs> right. we're, te- we're about 10 minutes in the movie. We've not seen any new footage. Um, and this is, this is only where the mistakes of that opening credit sequence begin because, (laughs) because first of all, the star of the movie in alphabetical order, which is where they choose to go with the credits is Ned Beatty, who is in this movie for probably less time than he's in network. Which is, you know, fam- famously the, the shortest amount of screen time someone has ever been on screen who's a big right. star. And, um, and then they blow a major plot twist by um, identifying an actor as a character, uh, e.g. Um, Marshall. E.g. Marshall as the president. Correct. Which is a plot twist within the film. We're not supposed to know it's him. There's a fake out. Where right. you're supposed to think the present's someone else, so this title sequence is very, very problematic. It it, it does not. It, it, it yeah. All... When you're when you're boldly declaring and yeah. E. G. Marshall as the president, 
the horse has broken its leg at the first hurdle and it, it's already limping by uh, with, with a gun at its head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, dear listeners, we haven't even started this movie beyond the credits and we're going to have to get back to you after this break and we'll get into the rest of the movie right after this. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu, including their signature 5050 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more can you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 5050. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. Tom, we've talked about the rather strange first 10, 5 to 10 minutes of <laughs> Superman 2. Um, let's get into the meat of the movie. Where do we start? We go to Paris, don't we? We're, yeah, we go to Paris. Uh, again, this, this Bond film fetish that Superman 2 has continues on, and we have a, we have, uh, what seems like a cold open, uh, happening after the credits. So this is the... A second cold this open. This is a second cold open... That's kind of officially the start of the movie. It actually begins with Clark Kent throwing his uh, his hat uh, on a stand like Sean Connery in the in the Bond movies. But that's that's another right. matter. Um, and yes, yeah, so there's a, there's a bomb at the Eiffel Tower uh, operated by Richard Griffith of the Harry Potter movies. Of the Harry Potter and, movies, yeah, I was so excited to see him. And he has constructed a bomb out of a removable car stereo from the nineties. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and, uh, and and some chewing gum, and he's about to blow it up. And Lois Lane, Margot Kidder is is there now. This really could be for me, you know, a scene from uh, a Bond movie. Uh, you know, if you cut out the the shots of Superman flying to Paris, um, I mean that that would right. still belong in Moonraker. But you know, a, a, any other Bond movie that would sort of look <laughs> out of place. Um, yeah, this is a this. It's a strange way to start the film. It is a reshoot. It was a. It was one of the ways in which. Yeah, it's all Richard it's Lester. All Richard Lester. But it just seems like nonsense yeah, to me. You know, I'm watching Margot Kidder as a reporter, and the one thing you're supposed to do as a reporter is not put yourself into a story. Mm-hmm. And what does she do? She crawls underneath a, an elevator and gets on top and starts running amok. She does, yeah. After I might add, after duping the worst French cop I've ever seen in cinema. Absolutely, it's. Uh, it's quite a it's quite a feat for her to be so um, so transparent given her job. Yeah, at one point she says, "How do I get myself? In, how did I get myself into this?" And I thought to myself, "By being an idiot, Lois." <laughs> well, I mean, maybe the maybe the cop was distracted by the soft focus of the of the sky around him. Maybe it was messing with his eyes, and he 
there and she go. managed to slip by him because they employ some incredible blurry focus to hide the fact that it's it's um i think they filmed it in winter and they were trying to make out that it was summer so they just they right. just uh, and essentially this whole paris scene is just a setup for um a new way which is essentially the exact same way to release our prisoners from the prison yeah jail correct yes because superman doesn't care about space so he's quite happy to throw uh as we'll see in later sequels yeah we'll we'll be talking about it in every <laughs> he like he like, likes to you like space he, is his garbage dump. he did de- he, de- he deals <laughs> he deals with problems on earth by by throwing uh throwing garbage into space nuclear garbage into space and that's exactly what he does here and yeah that's the kind of uh setup but it's a very elaborate way to do it um it feels going back to the bond film thing again it feels very modern it, it feels like we, we are we're getting you know terrorists uh european terrorism which was like right. the big thing of the 70s it's a it's a, a well and also you notice things like um you know speaking to what we talked about in the introduction to our podcast here we talked about Looking at things through a new lens, considering everything that's happening, the very first thing you see on the Eiffel Tower is, you know, a Japanese tourist with a huge camera. Yes. Yeah, they're not pulling their punches. When you watch these movies from the 80s, I mean, like, everybody is reduced to the largest stereotype. They're not pulling their punches when it comes to stereotypes. And we haven't even got to the the, um, Italians selling the replicas of the Tower of Pisa yet oh well next episode <laughs> superman 3 stay tuned listeners um good grief so it's but, a very it's it's so, a very weird add-on and i think i think that they're sort of trying to make things feel very contemporary very kind mm-hmm. of very very relevant um but in doing so uh i i, I think again we, we we're like it again it feels like the movie hasn't started yet yeah right so really the movie doesn't start until our villains are released um let's talk about them i mean these are a trio of some of cinema's just greatest villains aren't they they're fantastic yeah 100 percent. i think it's um it's a it's a great it's it's a great uh triple act (laughs) triple threat yeah literally a triple threat which is uh interesting because they do look like broadway dancers in the way that they're costumed um, they look, yeah, exactly. Terrence right. Stamp is odd. Also, like, say their names together, and it's a great tongue twister, you know. If you're an actor, you're like, just keep saying General Zod Ursa Nam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good, it's a good warm. It also sounds like you're ordering from an Indian takeaway menu. I'll have I'll have a nurse and uh, uh, anyway. Speaking, yeah. So I see we're all, I'm already doing racial stereotypes just from talking about. There this you movie. Go. I was gonna say I'm gonna hold you accountable, Tom. Please, please. <laughs> um, you know who else who should be held accountable is the filmmakers who decided to introduce us to these three villains by having them just straight up murder three innocent astronauts. Yeah, on on uh, they they land on the moon and. Yeah, it's it's they're they're introduced in very fiercely, and I think the 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 job of the rest of the film is to camp them up to the point where they're you know they're so lovable. When we, but you know the, yeah. the, when you finally get to the the point spoiler at the end of the movie where Superman defeats these three, uh, you're almost the point where you feel sorry for them because they they they're, they're so entertaining bummed. to watch. Yeah, and they and you know it's a, it's a great example. You know, and I mean this quite sincerely. It's a great example of 
of good villain screenwriting because rather than these you know these undefeatable villains these flawless uh evil geniuses um they between them they 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 do have weaknesses that can be exploited zod is a real poser uh non um is a sort of simpleton and ursa is trying to be this lady macbeth figure but she's not very successful with it right so it's lovely it's it's great writing sequence this it's yeah but and tell us about this moon sequence because it's kind of the introduction to i think maybe one of my favorite phrases from this movie which is ursa She's describing the new power she has. Oh. And what does she say, Tom? Um, isn't this when they get... I think that's when they get on Earth that she first says it. But, um, yeah, I think, I think she... Yeah, because they don't really know at that point. Um, yeah. I, th- I remember her ripping off the thing off the guy's suit. She says, well, I'm... This is the, like, I love the moment, too, because Zod figures everything out really quickly. Yes, like, he, does. he deduces this shit fast he's like you know when we're in an atmosphere close to one sun yeah. a yellow sun this is what happens yeah it's so we have that we have this you know not a great zod impression by the way it's but. it's better than gene hackman's <laughs> zod impression later in the movie because he thinks that terran stamp is scottish um right no it's it's yes yeah, so we have this moon sequence which is very camp there's a lot of foil uh, a lot of you get to see John Ratzenberger. John Ratzenberger. There's, a, there's there's a lot of mustaches. People talking about uh, male on male relationships. It's very it's an interesting sequence. Um, and then that when they first arrive on the Earth, uh, Ursa concludes that they have powers beyond reason, and this is yeah. the screenwriter's <laughs> way to justify literally anything. Anything uh, they that they do throughout the rest of the movie can be linked back to this line "powers beyond reason," and they really do exploit that license. <laughs> they exploit it so well. We'll get into it, I guess, a little bit mm-hmm. later. But it's like there are things that happen in this movie. You know, when Superman takes Lois uh, to the Fortress of Solitude, yes. he flies her there, mm-hmm. and then they go to a in, to a diner after he loses his powers. But they're in a car. Yeah. And I think to myself, where the fuck did you get that car? <laughs> <laughs> and I just respond, powers, powers beyond, beyond reason. reason. Actually, you, 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 you found the one instance of the movie where he, he doesn't have any powers. Uh, so <laughs> right. True. <laughs> so, so And yet, miraculously, he gets a car. So, yes, you're right. The screenwriters have powers Fun beyond Fun fact reason. in that scene, when they, when they are driving up to that diner... You get a little Hitchcock moment because uh, it's Richard Donner walking past the car, and then yeah. and then <laughs> and then Pierre Spangler comes on screen and fires him in front of all the cast, right. yeah. <laughs> which is apparently not that different from what actually happened. Um, yeah, well, while while we're talking about Richard Donner, um, we we sort of getting into the part of the movie that involves Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, and um, yes. Uh, this is this is very this uh, the easiest way to sh- to see what scenes Richard Donner directed um, is to say is Gene Hackman in them because Gene Hackman categorically refused to come back for reshoots. He was replaced. He was uh, for the scenes that they needed Lex Luthor in. They filmed an, uh, a replacement actor in long shot, and this act and then dubbed yeah, and him. then dubbed him and and the actor. But I mean, with somebody impersonating. Yeah. And you can really tell. So if 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 uh, it's not Gene Hackman, then it's not Richard Donner. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly right. There are even scenes like if you watch the the Richard Donner cut, and and you're sort of the first scene in jail, yeah. with with uh, Gene Hackman, and or Lex as Lex Luthor, uh, there he and Otis are walking past. Uh, they're in the prison laundry, yeah. right? And in the Richard Lester version, he leans over to another inmate and says, I want my Liberace record back. Yes. And the the, the prisoner uh, responds, it's got a scratch on it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a very silly line. But then in the Donner cut, he says, I want my Liberace record back. And he goes, what? Huh. And it's like a, just a different line, you know? Yeah, well, I mean... And I just love that the scene is exactly the same, except for that one little Jack, bit. Jack O'Hallorhan... He's like, you want it back? Jack, Jack O'Hallorhan, who played uh, non, who plays Non in the movie... Non. Um, he said that... He said that of Richard Lester, that he always wanted a gag to finish the scene, so I'm sure that stuff is taken out um, because of spite. I think you'll find, like, the comic button that Richard Lester likes to put on every scene is probably missing from most of the scenes in the director's cut. Right. But out of spite. And I understand that because Richard Donner got a very raw deal. And um, it's not... It, it kind of... When you when you realize that Richard Donner must have directed the scenes because Gene Hackman's, you know, in focus and talking as Gene Hackman, um, you, right. you, you realize that... Um, this idea that, you know, Richard Donner was the serious one and Richard Lester was the funny one is just not true because those scenes are hilarious. A lot of it has to do with Gene Hackman's uh, comic abilities, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that Richard Donner knows how to do comedy. The Lethal Weapon movies are hilarious. Yeah, I that's mean, true. It's so, I, I think what we're talking about is the difference between... Some of them unintentionally, though. <laughs> Only maybe one. We'll get there, but maybe only maybe one of them unintentionally. <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> but um, you know, I think I think what we're talking about is the difference between broad comedy and and a more kind of sophisticated style of comedy. Uh, right. Well, let's talk about um, what do you think is the one thing making this movie work so well? Um, the returning cast. Yeah. Now, that's what I, I think. think. I, it's the cast, Anyone right? planning to be a long-time listener of show will hear me say those two words a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Where I think, you know, everyone comes back for this. Um, and this... Even if they didn't. Even, even if we have to get, you know, someone who looks like right. Rick Torn from the Larry Sanders show to play, to play Lex <laughs> Luthor, we're gonna... Um, we, we, no, I mean, everyone came back, and that cast is... Just completely unbeatable. I mean, the, the reboots of Superman have never been able to recast to that effectiveness. Margot Kidder, no, yeah. Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, um, uh, Terrence Stamp. Ter- yeah, they're, they're, abs- they're, they're, per- they're the perfect renditions of these characters. Like, yeah, the, the perfect casting, people at the height of their powers kind of a thing. And they're allowed to um, act, you know, they're allowed to do their best acting as well i mean that's a huge yeah. thing and both both richard donner and lester although they have huge differences of directors they both gave the space for the actors to sort of do their thing and mm-hmm. it, it it really it really um elevates this movie and and it makes you forget about some of the the more creaky uh piecemeal aspects of this movie that like the fact that it is basically two movies pieced together from two different directors right. 
which is very evident, but you're inclined to forget that when you're watching, you know, Christopher Reeve do his his transformation scene or Lex Luthor and Ned Beatty in the prison. I mean, you know, who who cares at that point? Right. <laughs> Fantastic ideas. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to finish out Superman 2 right after this. Hello there. Do you like beers? I like beers. I live in San Diego, the beer capital of the world. You're not going to get better beers than here in San Diego. But if you like beers, let me tell you, you got to check out a new show, The Vegas Beer Guys, starring Stephen J. Weiss and Dan Aker. The Vegas Beer Guys are fantastic. You can find them on the Book of Face. You can find them on the Instas. They do live shows. They'll drink beers right in front of you. They'll tell you about the beers. They'll tell you what's good. They'll tell you what's bad. They love to do beer festivals. They'll do a whole beer festival. The festival will send out, I don't know, eight to ten beers, and they'll try each of those beers, and then they'll rank them. They'll tell you what's good. They'll tell you what they love. They'll even tell you what they don't love. They're here for honesty, folks. It's a fantastic show. You need to check it out. Dan Aker, Stephen J. Weiss, and the Vegas Beer Guys. Have fun and have a beer. And we're back. All right. Superman 2, Tom, we're talking about Superman 2 here. We talked about the things that we think work best for the sequels. We did. Or rather, this sequel. Myself, like we talked about the great actors, uh, and as many great actors are in it, I still think maybe this movie stands on the broad shoulders of Terrence Stamp and how amazing he is in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Certainly, it's, um, you know, he is... He is a character from the original, certainly. Um, you know, right. they envisioned this as a, a kind of two-for-one deal. So they knew that they always knew they were going here. They always knew they were going to bring in Zod uh, for the yeah. second movie. And he's just fantastic. And, I mean... he, you know, he's a he's not only is, you know, he a breath of uh, a breath of different air. Uh, you know, he gets to interact with the villain of the original movie, Lex Luthor. Uh, and, that, right. and their interplay is one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. My favorite line in the whole movie is when the president tells him there's one man who will never kneel before him. And he just sort of, like he's throwing it away almost. He just says, who, who is this imbecile? <laughs> yes. Where is he? You know, he's so dismissive. He's so fantastic. Everything he does is wonderful in this movie. He does a lot of so eye rolling, which is which is yeah, really yeah. wonderful. I think this is the beginning. Plenty of putting up with Ursa and Nan, you know. To me, you know, he would go on to, Terrence Stamp would go on to do Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And I wonder whether this is like the beginning of him emerging as this camp icon. Because the way he plays the role, it, it, it you know, it's 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 fearsome. But also, it has this kind of uh, this very camp humor about it. That uh, right. That... I mean, how could you be menacing and comical? Yes, exactly. It's, I mean, you just have to be the best of the best. Exactly. Well, speaking of uh, the best of the best, let's go the other way. What do, <laughs> what do you think uh, does not work in this movie? Because I can tell you for myself, one thing that has not aged well in this movie for me is a framed photo of Bill Cosby <laughs> on the wall at the Daily Planet. What the fuck is that doing there? Even at that time, yes. why is Bill Cosby on the wall in Superman 2? Explain it to me so I can understand. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know... Um... 
you'd have the explanation. You explained it to me when we talked about this, but I've already forgotten because I'm trying to write. <laughs> I'm trying to deny that this ever happened. But there's a right. prominent picture, a photograph of uh, Bill Cosby in the background of the um, the Daily Planet office. And, yeah. you know, I mean... Doesn't age well, to say the least. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things that you, you can't... Uh, you can't necessarily predict um, that it will be tainted in such a way. It seems in today's world, it doesn't matter if you couldn't predict it. Everybody who made Superman 2 and was in Superman 2 is now a monster because they put a framed picture of Bill Cosby yeah. on the wall. And, you know, this is where we get into the... the uh, the the mystical side of these movies the, the 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 curse of superman this idea that the production you know everyone involved right. in these productions you know uh died got ill or went to jail um so but i think you could argue that you avoided a curse by not having nicholas cage a superman oh maybe just one man's opinion well it's uh it's it's a you don't know which nicholas cage is going to turn up that's the problem. That's true. That's true. Uh, there, is, there, is, there is there is Nicolas Cage magic. There's Nick Cage magic for sure. There is a there is a world, there is a parallel universe in which Nicolas Cage is the perfect choice for Superman. It may not be this well, you, one, but it, it, there is one. <laughs> sure. Now you tell me yes. what what uh, what doesn't work for you? I think what what big what and again I was oblivious to this as a child, um, or you know for for the majority of the. the the years that I've been watching this movie, but watching it again recently, it does kind of seem cobbled together. Um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't hang together. A little disjointed. It's very disjointed. It doesn't hang together very well. You you can sort of see where the the, the seams are between the, the the main part of the movie and the reshoots. Um, that you know that just kind of it's nitpicking to some extent, but it does matter. Like. When they, you have a scene where Superman beats up a man in the diner, and when he goes back at the end, which was obviously yeah, filmed, Superman's a bit of a dick, right? right. Superman, <laughs> and then you have all these these scenes that were kind of added on. There's no turning the other cheek for him. <laughs> he goes back to see the president. He goes back to the diner, but they didn't get the same actors uh, to be in those scenes. So first of all, the diner is owned by a completely different person when he goes back at the end of the movie. To um, to get his revenge on this guy who beat him up, you don't see the president's face when he goes to see the president and says everything's okay. Um, it's so things like you know the the the, the majority the last third of the movie um, is you know Gene Hackman's mostly in ADR and long shot, and I just I just think that those things you know especially when I'm comparing it to the other sequels, which is what we're doing with this uh, this podcast, it's hard to sort of say that you know this is the the best outcome for the for the footage that was sure. filmed. Um, uh, but it's you know just be grateful that there is this incredible cast. Uh, pulling it all together and and yeah you know, they're, I'm... they're stitching all that disjointedness exactly. together through their great work yeah let's talk for a moment do you have an opinion on because when we talk about what doesn't work in the movie uh for the fanboys when this movie came out apparently there were two things that really pissed them off one was superman throwing his s of cellophane around non Mm. Uh, to little or no effect. Well, when you sort of, well when you put it like that, of, <laughs> he just sort of falls down <laughs> and it disappears, and he's surprised by this. And then you have the forget kiss. Yes, the date, uh, the date rape. What, what's kiss. your opinion on these two things? Yeah. Um, 
It, I'll, I'll, st- I'll start from the, the end and uh, I'll talk about the date rape kiss. It looks bad from a political point of view. Uh, the, the the fact that he the fact that Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent as Superman <laughs> um, correct uh, kisses Lois Lane and does something to her which erases her memory of what the past two weeks three weeks something like that as something like a significant that. amount I think of time what most people were pissed about though he was space roofies her. It- yeah, and well, I think for for fans of the comic book, they were pissed because they claimed that it never happened in the comic books, yeah. which is not true. It did happen a couple of times. So, um, I mean, you know, you could argue whether or not this is a power a power super, Superman would have, and then you could also argue beyond that: is it a power he should really be using? I just, I just, but in the Richard Donner yeah. cut, they they go back to you know go, uh, revolving time back. Yeah, uh, by circling the Earth again, they do it a second <laughs> which is, time, which is, ju- which, wh- is just which is just as nonsense. problematic. Um, uh, yeah, I, ju- I just checked. Uh, I, I I just checked on um, the insurance policy, and uh, that this is covered under powers beyond reason. Powers beyond yeah, reason. Yeah, it is. Everybody. It is covered. The date rape kiss is covered, and so is the cellophane. Um, cellophane superman s oh i want to make it clear i'm fully on board for cellophane s <laughs> well I, you know you bring up a... i loved cellophane s when i was a kid and i love it now the... i'm right you all are wrong yeah if well you have a problem with cellophane s and this is the problem you... we have with you know the, the fandom likes to, to sort of pick its battles and often they pick the wrong battles um you know we're, we're in a we're in a moment where people <laughs> right. are we're in a moment where people are burning dvds of uh of the the latest Superman outing, um, because you know Correct. of animosity. Because they want more Snyder. They want yeah, because of the way that the film is being cut. There's that you know the Richard Donner cut, which was largely a fan driven project, and it's you know, obviously you know the nostalgic part of me says that you know this is this is the film I was brought up with, and I'm going to take all the problems of it on board. I did not, I did not, never had a problem with it. I also didn't read comic books, and I never read the Superman comic books, so maybe I would have had a problem if I read those. But um, yeah, I, you know, ju- just judging these movies as movies, uh, there's a lot of ludicrous things that they kind of know are happening, but are powerless to. Um, explain or provide yeah. any just just for basically for the flow of the movie. But speaking to what you just said, judging the movie for judging the movie, there's just too much great shit in this movie to not love it. I mean, yes, you put all the ridiculous stuff aside, put put Paris aside, put a five minute with a you know second viewing of the boy penis aside. Yeah, <laughs> put all of that aside. And you have three great villains, one great hero, a great supervillain, and you know Lex Luthor. Um, there's just too much great stuff. There's a big, giant, weird hump bed mm. in the <laughs> in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> I mean, well, and you, and there's you, things that just make no sense but are fantastic. Every uh, single bit of it, and also like. General Zod, would you like to step outside? <sighs> this fight scene is fantastic. Like you have to come down and cheap. on the side of yeah, and co- I mean, it's, it's, it's a great. very cost-effective fight scene because most of it is underground. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the, once now we're talking about the fight scenes. This is uh, again possibly a, a way to a, a critique. Possibly, I don't know if it is, but um, 
these films were made were shot at uh, Pinewood Studios in Britain, and the 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 filmmakers. Oh, it's evident. Were, yeah, the filmmakers are not great at hiding that fact. Uh, in the in the scene in which um, the supervillains, as they're called, even in the frame of the film, which is a delightful pun. Uh, yeah. arrive in a small town in Idaho, there is a, a small British boy uh, hanging around in this town. Um, this this child yeah. who has no business being there because he's from uh, somewhere in the home counties of England. Please let my daddy down. Yeah, I know. It, it's, and they don't bother covering that. Once you get to the fight sequence, um, you see British brands that never went international on the streets. Uh, um, a, a maternity store called Mother Care just appears because they filmed it on a British street. And it's very, very prominent, you know, like it, because there's a lot of sponsorship in these movies. And that was one of the sponsors. I'll say the thing I love about these movies is how much money Kentucky Fried Chicken and Marlboro <laughs> must have paid these filmmakers, man. That's it's, that shit is everywhere. It's also worth paying attention to how that uh, sponsorship, uh, how the quality even of the sponsors um wanes as the sequels go on and we'll we'll, we'll, defi- we'll definitely talk about that later the uh, well the... we're going to be talking about that uh for superman 3 mm-hmm. uh, superman 4 coming up the um there's i think that you know there's there's things that can be held against these movies uh, from a political perspective uh everyone's always smoking and drinking eating copious yeah. amounts of junk food um you know, yeah, Lois Lane is a garbage. Oh my god, and she's a mess. But you know, this takes me back uh, to a kind of to my idea of what a good family movie is, and that's flipped over the years. You know, I see it. I see family movies as from the top down. You know, you give the adults what they want, and you throw a little. You know, that's exactly you, what you I throw think, a little. Yeah. You know, sprinkle something on there for the kids. Now it's the opposite. You know, it's all kids, and then you have a few. You know, jokes about. Uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, they got a couple of backwards. a couple of jokes about Goodfellas, you know, for the for the grown-ups. But this is totally <laughs> the opposite way around. So I love that fact that, and the the other film that comes to mind is Ghostbusters, where there are just people living their worst lives on screen, and no one's commenting <laughs> on it. And well, super right. well, Clark Kent is. He's saying, "Are you sure you should be having a hot dog at ten a.m.?" Um, but right. we all know he's a square. So yeah, Lois Lane is <laughs> Lois Lane is fucking reckless. She has just the very idea, like the notion he might be Superman, and says, "I think I'll throw myself over into Niagara Falls yeah. just to make him save me." That's a pretty big risk if you're not a hundred percent sure. And yes, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly, Superman would be a victim of the Me Too movement. I think because you have the date rape kiss. What he's doing with the Niagara Falls is is like a kind of um, a a high stakes version of negging, in sort of like <laughs> right. it's sort of like holding back to the very last moment to save her. Um, like it, so, th- there's a, there's a lot of leaving the possibility yeah. open for her drowning. Also, you know, he's very cheap. He uses the world as a one stop grocery shop. Um, and he does, he, he's, you know, envi- environmentally, he is not sound, you know, throwing nuclear, nuclear material in space, but he also doesn't treat the earth very well. He's just going around getting stuff from the rainforest for his date. Um, it's yeah. like lasering off the top of a mountain and plugging <laughs> a volcano with it. It's like fork out, uh, you know, fork out uh, some money. Well, Tom, we're starting to allude to fantastic things to talk about in our next sequel, Superman 3 and Superman 4. Yes. 
I think we're going to leave it there for now. Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Stick with us tomorrow. We're going to talk about Superman 3. My name is Mike Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me, as always, here is Tom Stewart. We're going to say goodbye. Tom's from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Tom, are you ready? Am I ready to hear Richard Pryor scatting about rapists? Oh, yeah. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>